We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. No Jack Manuel today, but special guest, Matt and AQ. What is up, Matt? How are you doing? What's going on, Nick? <laughs> I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to relax a little bit. I know you mentioned to me your heart rate's still high. Mine's kicking right now, too. Double OT in Brooklyn tonight. Nets pick up the W, 134-132. Just a quick reminder, you can check out the Buzz, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Matt, let's get right into it. Initially, like, how are you feeling after this one? <laughs> Uh, a combination of exasperated and uh, content. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it just, it was all over the place. It was crazy. Free throws, fouls. You know, it sounded like the Nets had a chance to win at different times. They finally pulled out the end. And it was with defense, which has not been their calling card tonight. No, absolutely not. I mean, they really couldn't stop Kemba Walker and for stretches Malik Monk also. Uh, you, you know, the whole time I'm watching this, especially down the stretch, I'm having flashbacks to last year or the year before that even, and just thinking, well, this looks like it's going to be another one of those games where, no, they were good, good effort, A for effort, and, uh, you know, they weren't able to pull it out in the end. But uh, it, it really does feel like a brand new day. Every time they win one of these games, it's genuinely surprising. Yeah, I mean, now I feel like after the win streak in this game going into 2019, like the Nets are building confidence, the fan base is building confidence. Now in these clutch situations, it's like somebody's going to hit a shot. You know, Spencer hit shots tonight. Joe Harris hit shots tonight. We had Rodion's on D. You know, a lot of interesting lineups out there from both teams. But uh, let's get into Spencer's game. You know, he had a huge game, obviously played big minutes in the double OT, uh, tied his career high, I believe, with 37 points, 12 of 29 from the field, 7 of 16 from three, 11 assists in 41 minutes. What were your thoughts on his performance? Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, man, I mean, he really was the the closer tonight. Look, it was glaring to see him on for double OT in the fourth quarter and to see D'Lo nowhere to be found. But I guess we can get into that in a second. He looked confident. We got the full spectrum of the Spencer Dinwiddie experience. You know, we got a bit of uh, hero ball when it wasn't necessary and a bit of hero ball when it was needed. He looked very confident. Uh, he was getting other guys involved. But, I mean, like if you get past 12 of 29, it, it was a good night for him. And he looks like the guy to take over when, when needed. 
Yeah, and it felt like the team was running better out there with D'Angelo Russell is on the bench, and that's no offense to him. And like you said, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Spencer definitely had his bad moments when he took some uh, four shots at the end of regulation, end of overtime, just threes he didn't necessarily have to take. But he did step up in different moments, and like you said, he kind of got us into the situation. He's one of the reasons we were able to tie it to force the overtime. So Spencer, another great showcase for him. Does it even matter anymore that he's not starting long as he's getting the big minutes? No, the last time I was here as a guest, I said that what's great about him is that his ego, his psyche, whatever you want to call it, seems to work pretty much either off the bench or as a starter. I don't think it matters to him. I think he just wants to be out there in some capacity, and he's going to make the most of his minutes. Now, there were times tonight when he needed to be saved from himself. There was one possession where he forced a shot. The rebound bounced out to Dudley, and I believe uh, Dudley swung it over to uh, Joe Harris, who drilled the three, so it was saved. But for the most part, I mean – he just – he makes things happen, whether it's off the bench or as a starter, and, I mean, that's valuable. Yeah, it's valuable, especially with a contract. You know, we talked about a couple episodes ago, three years, $34 million. Getting him at that price, having somebody that can start, come off the bench, fill the role you need him to fill, understands – you know, he has a very good understanding of the game. You know, he does take the bad shots sometimes, but he knows who to work on the different systems. And with, against the Hornets, he was able to get some mismatches, get to the rim and drive a couple times. I thought that was great, especially with the Hornets taking out their big. They're able to kind of collapse the paint all night and force the net to shoot more threes. Spencer did a good job of staying, getting into that paint. Obviously, he took a lot of threes tonight, but – I thought he had a good – he had a decent balance of taking threes and getting to the rim. And he did get 11 assists, so it's not as if he wasn't facilitating from that. He was – he did play the role of point guard. Exactly. And I felt like the offense, even though he did, you know, hero ball sometimes, he did get things going and help getting guys in the right position to kind of win. But let's talk Joe Harris, who probably is probably one of the more underappreciated players in the NBA. 27 points, 11 of 14 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3, you know, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, had a game-winning bucket, game-winning steal technically too. Just a great effort from Joe, who just really balled out tonight. Yeah, the thing about Joe Harris is that he's no longer just good for where we found him, no longer just good for the contract he's on. I think just in a vacuum as a player, he is a good player. And I think people are starting to take uh, notice of that around the league. And it's just a matter, it's not just about his efficiency from three, it's about just how heads up, the heads up plays that he makes, his high basketball IQ, his aggressiveness, his intuitiveness. He seems to always know where to be, you know, at any time in the game. He's just always making in the right position to make the right play. Exactly. It's just like he's a good basketball player, not a, no longer just a good shooter, which we talked about developing as a driver, but it's on defense. It's making the pass. It's just doing everything out there. And I think literally any team in the NBA would take a Joe Harris on because he at least puts effort defensively. He's not locked down, but he makes the correct rotation. So without his clutch threes tonight, the Nets don't win. I was thinking that earlier, too. I said, well, if you put Joe Harris on pretty much any contending team, well, would he be buried in the bench or would he get minutes? And I said, no, I think he would probably find his way to, you know, play some meaningful minutes. Even even Golden State could use another another guy who can shoot the three ball. Yeah, I know actually going to the offseason, a lot of the beat writers, I don't know of any connection to actually Golden State, but there's a lot of talk about them hoping they could land him on like a cheap deal. Obviously, he got more than what a lot of people expected, but it was still a good price for the Nets. So I think Joe would literally fit on anywhere, and he's a coach's favorite with the way he plays consistently on the floor. But we got to talk about the Rook, Rodion Karutz. 38 minutes, 13 points, 6 and 9 from the field. You know, he had a couple rookie mistakes. He also had 12 rebounds as well. He had some really good defense at the end that helped disrupt it and led to that game-winning play for Joe Harris. Yeah, listen, if you're 20-year-old, 40th pick in the draft, drops <laughs> 13 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, and a block, I mean, I think you'll take that pretty much every night. Yeah, Between Rodion, between Rodion's Kurugs and, and Joe Harris, there needs to be on the court as much as possible because – 
they seem to always be open in the corner and almost always ready to just make the right play and, and drill a three when there's no one around them. Uh, Rodion is, I mean, look, he's the 40th overall pick in the draft. He's 20 years old. I said 19 on Twitter the other day. My mistake. Okay. <laughs> 13, 12, and three tonight, along with three steals. I mean, you that talk about value. This is someone who may very well be in the long-term plans of this organization. And given where he was Given where he was drafted, I mean, what what more can you say? It's hard not to gush about Sean Marks, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, no, seriously, getting him in the 40th pick, being so NBA ready and not even – he didn't get to play a lot of basketball in two years. He mentioned it. Scouts have mentioned it. Going out there, and even without the stats, just the energy he provides for the team, you always see him hustling. I like that point you brought up about Joe Harris and Rodion. It's like I actually have never thought of them both needing to be on the – I mean, one of them needing to be on the floor, but it does make a lot of sense because Joe doesn't necessarily have the energy where you see it all the time, but his constant off-ball movement provides a spark for the offense and gets things going, and he's a guy who's willing to get on the floor for loose balls. Definitely love what we've seen from both of them. And Brodion's as a defender, I think, has probably been the most impressive thing. You know, he, he got beat by Kemba a few times, but there was other times where he blocked Tony Parker, I think, in one of the overtimes at the rim. That was, like, that super was, impressive. Yeah, I stood up for that one. And, I mean, <laughs> I, I was at the game on Sunday against Phoenix, and uh, I, I was just watching him – Watching his body language, watching him in the corner, he's just ready all the time. Like you're not from Joe Harris, you're not getting that baseline action that Rodion's is giving you. Rodion's might be a little bit more uh, versatile down low, but at the same time, it, it's just like these guys are exactly what the system calls for. And quite frankly, I mean, I wish I wish we had him sooner. Yeah, I wish we had clones of them too. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, one thing that Rodion said sticks out, and I just love this play in general, is when he just grabs the steal, reads the passing lane, and then gets the easy duck in transition. You know, for a team, just getting those easy points at any time in the game and forcing that live ball turnover is something we don't necessarily see from a ton of the nets. We saw it from probably Karis LeVert. And without him being there, Rodion's has really stepped up in that role and provided the length. Like you said, his action on baseline, but also his action around the rim, not only as a rebounder, but as a defender, having that yeah, extra yeah, length. Dunker, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's to throw it down once in a while too I, I would almost guarantee that he's going to have a poster on a big time player by the end of the season just because he's so fearless and I think I like the way that Kenny's been playing well not even just Kenny but the roster makeup where sometimes the Nets are playing you know three small forwards or a small forward power forward combo in the past where they had to play so many guards now where they might not be playing traditionally big they'll have length at other positions like we kind of saw from that KG Nets team what did you think about Rondé's game? It kind of felt like almost a situation where he turned a bad game into a good game almost because there was moments where, you know, he kind of really pissed off the fans and probably the coaching staff, but then there's other moments where he just was doing Rondé things. Yeah, much like Spencer Dinwiddie, Rondé really gives you the full spectrum, right? And uh, this was actually going to be my other point about Rodion's. I mean, sometimes watching Rondé play and a drive maybe kind of takes selfish possessions where he seems intent on going up for a layup when he's contested by two defenders. Uh, you kind of just – you live with the good and you live with the bad with Rondé. He's maddening to watch when he's hitting – he's good at hitting bad shots. He's good at making bad plays. He's good at, you know, driving, running the floor, and then turning the ball over. And, you know, you're screaming, like, why are you doing this? You know, why is he on with Rodion at the same time? It feels like, you know, there's too clunky of a lineup. He's too erratic. But then, you know, going down to close the game – He's driving and he's making layups and he's closing the game out as well as you can hope for. And it's just like, all right, I guess all is forgiven. It's just frustrating to have to live with the bad and the good. And with, with Rondé, unfortunately, you get both.
Yeah, and like if you look at his stat line, his game really doesn't seem that bad. 16.7 to 16 from the field, you know, 15 rebounds, six assists, only two turnovers and three blocks. I think the problem with him is you you nailed it on the head. He's good at making bad shots, but he misses so many like layups that are makeable. That I think is the most frustrating thing where you really don't know what to expect from him around the rim. He's also on the on the court when you need someone to be very stable. You want a stabilizing presence. And instead, he plays very erratically. He dribbles very erratically. He does things like commit offensive fouls at, you know, a higher clip than I would like him to. And, look, I, I hate to, to rag on the guy because he seems like a really good guy and a really, you know, nice player, uh, a really nice person, rather. But there are times when you really just want a, a safe bucket and he does something like commit an offensive foul and it's just infuriating and you're wondering out there in the first place. But like I said, he will make up for it later in the game. Yeah, it's like he's the type of player that literally will miss the layup in the next possession, go get a loose ball and get you the possession back. Like that's just kind of what you expect from Ronde. Now, anybody else stuck out to you that had a really nice game? Uh, well, right up until the end of the game, I mean, Damari Carroll was playing pretty solidly. Uh, it's nice to always see him, uh, look, it wasn't a monster stat, stat sheet, but I mean, 12 points, you'll take, you'll live with that, especially in 25 minutes, three, three rebounds, two assists. I was happy to see him out there to close the game, but at the same time, I mean, who couldn't have predicted those free throws? I mean, it was just the most predictable thing in the world. I was scared he was going to miss both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same same here. Yeah, so Jared Dudley got 36 minutes tonight. I mean, he was he didn't fill up the stat sheet either, but he hit a three-pointer when we needed a three-pointer. Calm, cool, collected, right there in the corner. I don't know if it was in the fourth quarter, if it was OT, or if it was the second OT. I think it was both. <laughs> was it both? Yeah, I think I mean, he hit one in the fourth and one in OT. Yeah, it's kind of hard. The whole the whole game feels like a fever dream at this point. But, I mean, this is what we talk about when we talk about uh, the whole – I mean, I know they've abandoned the hashtag of the Brooklyn Grit, but he is exactly who this team needs in veter- in terms of veteran leadership. I mean, and on Dudley's front, like, I think there's times where, like, I wish he would be out there. But when you think about it, there's, like, maybe not somebody else he could put in that position that's going to make the same plays because – Dudley just does so many smart things on the floor of it, setting the screen, giving the dribble handoff, doing the fakes, or initiating the offense by driving to the rim, even though he knows he's not going to shoot the layup. It just kind of breaks everything down. I mean, I don't think the Nets will win this game without Dudley, and that's crazy to say. It's not like his impact was huge, but he just does so many of the small things out there. No, time. look, timing is important, is important, excuse me, positioning is important, poise is important, and these things aren't always going to show up in the box score. And, I mean, look – it's been a few games now throughout this whole stretch where we're nine of the last 10 that we've won. Look, he has been crucial down the stretch into kind of just making sure everyone stays cool, calm and collected. And I mean, like he's not going to, he's not going to be the kind of player who, who just fills up the stat sheet every night. But I mean, Kenny Atkinson needs an extension and that's basically what he has in both Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll. So while they're not going to be the guys who carry the team on a nightly basis, they will be the guys who make the heads up plays. They will be the guys in the right position to get the rebound, to get the rebound and then swing it out to someone on the corner who will you know, hit the three pointer that's necessary to stop the bleeding. They are the guys who keep everybody afloat and keep everybody in, in just even keeled. Yeah, I felt like in the first quarter, the Nets didn't necessarily play great. I feel like when the bench started to come in, they stabilized things a little bit, especially Damari and Jared. And it wasn't necessarily, like you said, they don't fill up the stat sheet or do all these amazing things. It's sometimes just the small things and get everybody kind of calmed down, which seemed to be a big thing for the Nets tonight. And obviously, they were able to pull it off in double OT. 
let's talk a little bit about the coaching decision of this game. What did you think about D'Lo not playing big minutes and not playing at the end of the fourth quarter at all during overtime? Honestly, it's mind-boggling, right? Especially going into two, into second and overtime. Going into OT or even closing out the fourth, I get it. He trusts Dinwiddie more as his closer. But D'Angelo Russell wasn't having a bad game. I mean, 16 points in 27 minutes is 7 of 18. Okay, that's, you know, that not the best, uh, uh, the best efficiency you could hope for. But it's not terrible either. And you wonder why he wouldn't want to go with fresh legs at some point. Now, what makes it even more glaring is that Rodion's Kourouks is 20 years old, and he's now already trusted to close these games more than Spencer Dinwiddie. And it's not as if... Uh, it's not as if Dinwiddie and D'Lo couldn't both have taken turns, you know, to finish in either of those. It's not as if it's not as if Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Lo couldn't have coexisted down the stretch of this game or, or the stretches of this game, rather. But it, it was just glaring to see him on the bench for that long. The only reason it wasn't noticed as much was because we were too busy, you know, focusing on this insane barn burner in front of us. Yeah, I would say if I had to make the guess for why D'Lo didn't play in the end of the fourth in overtimes was defense. So I think the problem with him playing was he just couldn't get over any screens. But I, I was surprised not to see him in the double OT. The first OT I really didn't mind because, like I said, the defense I thought was the big issue. And, like, whatever, the, the team was cooking. They came to 8-0 run to tie the game back up and force the OT. But I think defensively was probably his biggest issue because offensively, like you said, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't knocking down a ton of shots. But it's not like he was really hurting the team. No, you're right. And like I said, the fresh legs would have been nice, especially going into the second OT. But uh, I don't understand why last week he's able to drain a three-pointer against Le LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, do his little ice in my veins routine, which you know I'm admittedly a fan of. And now tonight, it's as if he's back in the doghouse. But usually when he's in the doghouse, I can usually come up with some sort of like you said, you mentioned defense, and God knows when it comes to, you know, playing Kemba Walker, there are other players who have tried and failed, better players who have tried and failed, quite frankly. But tonight, I I don't know. If he can't crack the rotation, the end game rotation tonight, I really don't know uh, what that says about him. Maybe it says nothing. Maybe they're trying to limit his minutes, or maybe it's an indication of the future, indicator of uh, future plans. I honestly, I honestly don't know. It's really hard to gauge, and I think – some of it's because we don't know what the Nets are thinking on D'Angelo front. Maybe they're trying to craft him into this, like, master point guard and make sure he has, like, perfect games and really excel to his highest ability, which is a different way of coaching. Uh, that's just a theory. But uh, I don't know. We could see in the next game against Charlotte he could play 30-plus minutes. It's not like we haven't seen him play big minutes. It's just – I don't know. Maybe it was – I personally, I think maybe it was the defensive energy and the defensive effort because not as much Kemba because, like you mentioned, nobody can really defend Kemba. He's extremely hard, especially when he's hot. But I think it was more so that he was getting beat by Tony Parker. And it wasn't like Tony Parker was just beating him off screens. He was beating him one-on-one. -on -one, and maybe he just felt like he didn't have it tonight defensively and he had him out there. He was just going to get cooked. But then you ask, why do you have Jared Dudley out there? So yeah, you know, yeah. we'll never know the answer. And look, that three-pointer that Tony Parker hit uh, in, was it the Broad first time? Yeah, that was that was the least surprising thing to you know ever happen. I wouldn't. I was kind of expecting him to go off a little bit more against us. But uh, it, speaking of closing the game with maddening lineups, like look, Ronda Hollis Jefferson. I feel like I'm ragging on the poor guy. Definitely, <laughs> that come for you. Yeah, I mean, he definitely closed the game, but you know, by driving to the rim a lot. But at the same time, I'm out there and I, I'm watching this, and I'm just like, oh god, 
Why is he the one who has to be out there? For some reason, I don't know what the plus minus is with the two of them, but Rondé and Rodion's on at the same time. It, it just makes me extremely nervous because I feel as if it, it's too hard to predict, and that that unsettles me a little bit. Yeah, it's. I mean, I can see it from both ends of the spectrum. Offensively, there's just like so much risk, and they have all these crazy plays. But defensively, it definitely provides Kenny with his most versatility. You know, Rodion's and Rondé could probably guard two through four, and they could guard some fives. So I think that's with some of the mindset. And I think the lineup was definitely weird, but I will give Kenny credit at the end of the fourth quarter and in overtime, going between that man-to-man to that zone, it really confused the Hornets. And that kind of forced them to take some bad shots at the end of the game, which gave the Nets an opportunity to either win it or stay in the game. Yeah, listen, we got the full Kenny spectrum tonight as well, right? Because Kenny at times was a little too stubborn, in my opinion, with the lineups that were out there. And of course, I'm complaining even though they won. Uh, but at the same time, he did make adjustments and it worked. And as much as I want to kill him for being – kill him figuratively. As much as we kill him for being too dogmatic, uh, he stuck to his guns tonight and it resulted in the win. And he made adjustments to end the game. And, I mean, look, we've said in, we've said in the past that he might be a little too stubborn sometimes. This was one of those games where it paid off. Now, you wonder if it'll translate to the next game. It'll be a big thing. I mean, coaching-wise, going to the next game, being against the Hornets, this is like a real coaching battle when you have a home-and-home. Like, it's extremely difficult to beat the same team twice in a row within three days. So I'm really interested to see what he does in terms of adjustments there. But like we've always talked about, Kenny, not only the players, but Kenny's also developing too. So we're going to take the good with the bad. But I think he did enough tonight that helped the Nets get the W where I would say he would be more on the positive end than the negative end because they got the win. Yeah, like I said, you got the full spectrum of the Kenny Atkinson coaching experience, and at the same time, but we got the win, and that's what matters most. And credit where he made adjustments with that by switching to a defensive zone to end the game. Uh, the schedule going forward, it, every time – look, maybe I'm being a, a biased fan, but at the same time, it, it really does feel as if the scheduling is punitive almost because we have a home-and-home. Home, like we have a back-to-back week <laughs> right right so we have a home and home and then a back-to-back and an earlier back-to-back because it's a 5 p.m game for us uh saturday at milwaukee of all places now i'm looking at that game and thinking oh god yeah that's that's gonna definitely be a tough game i mean it the schedule definitely sucks i just want to touch on one more thing and this is probably where i disagreed with kenny Jared Allen only getting 23 minutes. I obviously didn't have much of an offensive impact, but I felt like he owned Zeller when he was out there, and he was really aggressive on the boards tonight. So I was surprised Jared Allen didn't see big minutes. And, like, the only person that was really beating him one-on-one was Kemba and just don't get him in that switch. Unless they just wanted to go with their defensive scheme of switching everything, then I guess it makes sense. But I felt like Allen could have probably got a little bit more minutes. Yeah, and, and Kemba beats everyone one-on-one. He's Kemba, it's what he does. But when it comes- if they doubled him earlier in the game, I think they would have been in a lot better shape. Yeah, when it comes with Jared Allen, I like him out there because aside from just the rebounding and, and you know, the rim protection, I mean, he did he did claim another victim tonight. Uh, it wasn't as glorious as LeBron James, but hey, we'll take it. Uh, he is a pressure valve on the offense when the shots aren't falling. And not to say that they were struggling from three or struggling, you know, late in the game, but they're, it's nice sometimes when you can just lob it up there and, and have him oop the alley, as Ryan Rucco likes to say. 
Yeah, and he puts a lot of pressure on the defense vertical spacing-wise. I think the problem was where the Hornets actually played a little bit of zone. It's crazy you see two NBA teams play zone in the same game. The Hornets played a little bit of zone. I felt like that took Jared Allen out. And the Nets were kind of settling for three instead of attacking the zone fully on where you saw a couple really good ball movement possessions, but other ones where they're just like, all right, they're going to give us a halfway contested three, let us take it, where I felt like that's why they kind of went away from Jared Allen, which they should have just tried to force him the ball or just take, keep taking the shots and give him a chance on the boards because that's an area where I feel like he's really improved. Other than that, Matt, what were some areas do you think the Nets could have been? Uh, we'll talk about the negative and then go to the back to the good. Some areas where they were bad tonight where they can improve going to the next game. Yeah, I mean, the turnover monster has reared its head once again with this team. And it's, it's not just this game. It's been, it's been what, the past three or so? Yeah, the last uh, the winning streak, they're really good with the ball. And then ever since the Chicago game where they didn't really turn over a ton, but they just didn't win the, sh- uh, the turnover battle, I felt like they haven't been great. Yeah, it, whether it's turnovers or offensive fouls, they're not going to they're not going to win or they're not going to win easily anyway when they're getting in their own way and stopping their own momentum and their own progress. And whether it's you know Vande or whether it's Rodions or whether it's whoever Jared Dudley sometimes Jared Dudley's been much better about this as of late I think. Uh, yeah, he's getting a better feel for I think the team too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's maddening to see them. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. One possession, it was Spencer Dinwiddie. They were in transition. He feeds Rodion's Kourouks, who I, I think he was trying to just get Rodion's involved kind of as a reward for some of the heads-up plays he had made prior. And Rodion's was a little too far ahead. He wasn't able to reel the ball in. And, you know, he ends up going out of bounds and it ends up going the other way afterwards. But, I, I mean – this is something I would like to see them get back under control because we've seen it earlier in the year when they've struggled. And it's not as bad as it was then. But with young teams, especially with young players contributing, you know, it's going to be something that has to be worked on continuously. It's not going to be, okay, they finished, they fixed it, and it's good forever. This is going to be something that they're going to have to continuously. It's going to be like whack-a-mole. It's going to pop up every once in a while, and they're going to have to knock it in the head. Exactly. And especially with the style they play, you know, Golden State being one of the best teams in the league, they still have turnover, turnover issues sometimes. And it comes with the spacing and all the ball movement. And I feel like if you're not making crisp passes, which I felt like was an issue tonight at certain points, and it allowed the Hornets to get on some of those runs where the Nets had that five, seven point lead or whatever. And they got some of those live ball turnovers, which led to easy plays for them and getting buckets in a transition, building up their confidence. So I think that's an area I thought defensively, they weren't terrible, but there was portions of the game where they were just super inconsistent, where they'd have a couple minutes of great defense and a couple minutes where they were just giving up a ton of open threes. That's why Charlotte shot 15 to 31. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, got to give credit to where credit where to do, right? They Jeremy were Lambert, a crazy game too. I think we didn't even mention him. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Lamb punished us from outside. It felt like almost all night. Uh, look, 31, he dropped 31 points. Jesus. In 49 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. That's, that's something I, I wasn't really expecting. Batum had himself a, a decent little game. Uh, Cody Zeller was – Because I know Charlotte Horns have said he's been trash. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Tony Parker, 10 points in 21 minutes. I mean, look, he's the vet. He's the spur. He's the, the expert anyway. Jeez, it still feels weird seeing him in this uniform. But, I mean, I expect that much from him. Uh no, I mean, Willie Hernan Gomez was uh, someone I'm surprised didn't get more burn just because uh, I've seen him seen him give us trouble, give us fits before. And I mean, he in 14 minutes, seven points with 11 rebounds. Uh, still still not sure why the Knicks gave him away for flotsam last year, but it is what it is. And uh, I feel like I was a little bit worried about that matchup coming in more so than Cody Zeller, actually. 
Yeah, he was definitely better than Zeller. I felt like Allen owned Zeller, and I feel like Herman Gomez, like you said, 14 minutes, had 11 rebounds, six offensive, where he just had an impact on the boards. Some of that was the Nets playing small, and he was in there, and he just kind of dominated them. And they didn't really necessarily do an amazing job of attacking him on the defensive end, where that's where he really struggles. Yeah, you're, you're right. And look, we're thankful for what seemed like rotation errors on their part, but at the same time, uh, Look, when it comes to this Nets team, as long as it's Jared Allen and, I mean, not so much Ed Davis, but as long as Jared Allen and Ronnie Hollis Jefferson are out there, it does feel like uh, competent bigs are always going to feast, even if it's only for a little bit and a limited minute, limited minutes on the court. Yeah, we definitely need to get uh, Jared Allen on that uh, weight plan. But uh, anything else, Matt, in terms of the good that we didn't point out you think they deserve some credit for? Uh, I feel like they rebounded the, the ball really well. And, look, I know I spent it, I spent a lot of time uh, hammering Rondé Hollis-Jefferson's play earlier. But, look, 15 rebounds – excuse me, six, uh, 15 rebounds tonight, nothing to sneeze at. Rodion's with 12, helps to be tall. Jared Allen with nine. I mean, Joe Harris was six of his own, and Joe Harris isn't, you know, exactly in, in that same height class as the others. But it, it just felt like a, a good effort from them on the boards. And that's that's a big difference from – this this year's team and last year's team it feels like they're they're gang rebounding really well and i mean the individual stats are going to show who gets it you know who gets it last but at the same time they just seem like a much better rebounding team i'm sure it was a point of emphasis with the coaching staff and as a result it kind of not totally but sort of makes up for some of the turnovers because you know it neutralizes by giving them second chance points and giving them you know transition buckets things of that nature Exactly. I think actually Rodion's has had a really big impact on the boards. Just having his length out there offensively, defensively, and then like I mentioned earlier, Kenny playing a combination of forwards instead of like a combination of guards. Even having Damari and Jared Dudley, if their stats don't directly impact it, but you know, they're out there having an impact on the floor. But Matt, anything else about this one before we get out of here? Yeah, you know, look, it's hard to – look, we talk about culture and we talk about – uh you know, how every game feels like, oh, this is a game they might have lost last year. Or, you know, every game is a, a game where they could have blown it or something like that. Like, look, th this is a resilient team, and it's no longer, hey, they lost, but it's a resilient team. It's now translating the wins, and they're still doing it without Karis LeVert, which I'm going to bring up every time, every chance I get, because this is something to be proud of at the moment. They're, what, 17 and 19? Yep. Could, you have, could you have predicted this when Karis went down? No, I mean, I think it's extremely tough to where they're at right now without Carousel. We saw in that losing streak. And the, not only the impact, we talked about this before, that he brought offensively in closing out games, it's defensively being that defensive stopper. You know, Karras is out there. Kemba's life is a lot more difficult tonight. Oh, absolutely. You're losing your best two-way player and then having to readjust the hierarchy of the scoring and the facilitating afterwards, and they've somehow managed to find a way. They This is how the team plays now, and – this is going to be, you know, rich man problems. Now we're going to have to figure out how to reintegrate him into the offense, which is, you know, a good problem. It's a good problem to have. Exactly. It's something that Nets fans are definitely not used to. And where the Nets are sitting right now, half a game out of eighth and seventh, and then a one game back of the sixth seed Detroit Pistons. And really none of the teams above them other than Miami, I think they had a loss tonight before they started on a winning streak, aren't playing amazing. Detroit's been in some trouble. Charlotte, we have a chance to go win another game against them on Friday. So really interesting with the playoff race. And like Matt said, Getting Levert back is going to be a huge boost. But, Matt, huge pleasure having you on, as always. Definitely get you back on in the future. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And also, just a little news, Jack will be in the United States and we will be at games early January, so we'll definitely keep you updated about that. And, as always, thank everybody for listening. Happy New Year.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 